Welcome back to the CTO show. Stefan and I talk about the news, discuss the news, everything that we think is important to CTOs, especially because I think that you're busy, you're running around, you're driving in your car, you're driving in your driverless car, and you want to know what's going on. Stefan curates an amazing newsletter, uh, and we discuss the stories that he finds. And I am the founder of seven CTOs to help connect chief technology officers into groups and to learn and to grow together, to be transformed together. First news is Amazon CEO's new remote work policy aims to reshape office culture. As Business Insider reports, Amazon CEO Andy Yassi has enforced the remote work policy during a fireside chat. With only up to two days per week remote work allowance, the move is expected to impact over 2 million Amazon employees. Those who do not want to work three days in the office at Amazon are free to go. This is interesting for a famously data-driven company where the company, the CEO called the decision a judgment call. It always surprises me when I think Elon Musk did this and now Andy's doing this. The whole, we want people to work in the office. I mean, then they have to add the whole, well, if this is not for you, then you're done. Or if you don't, if this doesn't work for you, you're out. I always feel like, they enforce the policy, which is one thing, but then they sort of make this jab. Well, if this is not for you, go find another home somewhere else in the ocean on a raft. We don't care about you. Why, why be so aggressive about it? Totally agree. And I also think these, a lot of data-driven companies are as, long, as data-driven as long as the, the CEO thinks this is a good thing. And if he wants to do something that's not data-driven, then yeah, this is a judgment call. Yes, yes. Next news. OpenAI launches ChatGPT Enterprise for enhanced business communication. As Technica reports on Monday, OpenAI introduced ChatGPT Enterprise, an AI assistant aimed at businesses that offers unlimited access to ChatGPT for at faster speeds. It also includes extended context windows for processing longer text, encryption, security, privacy, and group account management features. On the social media network X, an OpenAI employee posted, organizations should be thinking about it as a basic work tool, like a new kind of spreadsheets plus plus, given out eagerly and by default. Yes, the AI is infiltrating its human agents so that it can promote and propagate its own agenda. It's hilarious for me how in just like spreadsheets, we are going to have emails constructed by ChatGPT, decisions made by ChatGPT, and the humans will become the agents for communicating the AI's thoughts to other humans. Yeah. And we always talk about groupthink and how groupthink uh, shapes and determines the, the destiny of a company and how a lot of companies fail because they can't get out of groupthink. 
It's just imagine everyone in a company asks ChatGPT the same questions. Well, there is no group thing. There is only one opinion, which is the opinion of ChatGPT. Which is reinforced learning. Like, okay, um, if 5,000 employees of this company is asking the same question, what is that doing to the weight of that answer? You're right. Imagine a world also where you, you, you're so paralyzed or so the, the tool has been so empowered by a, a large group, like you said, that you actually cannot do anything without consulting it. You know, we talk about this a lot. It's still an exceptional thing for me to kind of go to ChatGPT and, oh, yeah, I should ask ChatGPT. But, you know, when I open my Compose window and I write my emails and ChatGPT is just in there and it's like, you know, I just wonder what's going to happen to to people. Especially if you think, hey, ChatGPT, I have this idea to increase revenue for my department. Do you think it's a good idea? ChatGPT is like, well, according to my calculation, blah, blah. And you're like, it's not a good idea. And then you say, okay, well, the machine does not like my idea. So I might, I won't be sharing this with my boss and embarrass myself. And, and suppose you go to, to, to your boss with an idea and your boss asks you, have you asked ChatGPT first? So this exactly. will be the norm, you know. Don't yes. come to your boss before you have asked ChatGPT yes. about this, you know, yes. something like that. And uh, or if something happens and, and and HR comes down and says you need to need, uh, you need to lay off twenty percent of the people in your department, and you go to ChatGPT with GitHub and everything tied into ChatGPT, and you ask ChatGPT, uh, what, what what people should I get rid of? You know, and then uh, because it's so unpleasant to do, and and uh, for everyone who has been through this on both sides, it's very unpleasant. But you go to ChatGPT and ask it, and it comes up with three with three employees, uh, and what's then? You regenerate, regenerate until <laughs> Jennifer and Harry are on the list, and you're ah yes, these three people. Yeah. But but imagine, but imagine you take that a step further to auto GPT and you're like, I have to reduce my workforce by 20%. Go and take care of it for me, please. Yeah, that, that, and this will feel totally random to people and uh, to employees. It's like, there was this film called Brazil and I have this Brazil, this is, which is dystopian future. And I got Brazil vibes. Uh, when I hear this. So yeah, it will be interesting future. Another one about uh, ChatGPT, but it has some numbers in it. So I thought that that's interesting. Um, public views on ChatGPT's job impact vary. Pew Search research study finds. A recent Pew Research study reveals diverse opinions about the potential job impact of AI, particularly ChatGPT. In the center's new survey, about half or more of those who have heard of ChatGPT say chatbots will have a major impact on software engineers, 56%, graphic designers, 54%, journalists, 52% over the next 20 years. Smaller shares think chatbots will have a major effect on teachers, 44%, and lawyers, 31%. But Americans are less likely to think chatbots will impact their own job. 
Some 90% of employees and adults who have heard of ChatGPT think chatbots will have a major impact. Another 36% say it will have a minor impact and 27% expect no impact at all on their job. Yeah, it reminds me of the five stages of grief. And I think the very first stage is denial. Yes. Followed quickly and swiftly by anger. Yes. And then yeah. bargaining. And then depression. And then acceptance. And the movie The Matrix will have a brand new meaning for all of us. Yes. Yes. I think this is something that, that the societies as a whole will need to go through with AI. That would be a huge impact. But it's, it's interesting that they think 54% of software engineers are impacted. Well, they are, obviously. But then they think, well, I'm not impacted. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Last news is AWS Honeycode is discontinued. Amazon announced that Honeycode will be discontinued. Amazon Honeycode is a low-code development platform that enables people to build and run applications without writing code. It is a fully managed service that provides a visual interface for creating apps. Honeycode works as normal until February the 29th, 2024, when the service will be discontinued. When I read what your, this... What are your thoughts on this? When I read this, I thought this is the, the ending, the end of these uh, low-code, zero-code applications. So they had their summer of 69, I don't know. Huge, huge growth. Everyone was talking about low code, but it feels like um, with all these ChatGPT plugins that can create websites and do this and that and create APIs and backend APIs, it feels like that low code, the traditional way low code is probably done, is going away. So that was a short summer. Yes. Yes, I, I have to wonder what the whole AI assisted coding maybe did. Interesting. You know, it, um, it was a beta program, so isn't it? So they killed the beta program. And then, yes. of course, I just read this morning that Microsoft is retiring support for VS Code on Mac. I have no idea where that came from or why. So that is also a fascinating development. I guess everyone's going to go back to VI, man. Good old VI. Yes. Uh, why wouldn't you use an editor that's better than Emacs? I mean, Yes. No and also something that's a little sad. I think a few months ago, Bram Molinar, who is the creator yes. of VI Died, yeah. all the greats are passing on. Yes. Dennis Ritchie recently, so... It's pretty sad. That's great. Yes, which, that was which a also very means nice we're getting always. Yep. So this was the news uh, that should be relevant for CTOs in one way or the other for making your tech decisions, like getting into low code, which you probably should not do, or other things like uh, ChatGPT Enterprise making decisions or discussions with your CEO about Amazon pushing people back to the office. Yes, the hot themes, remote work. Chat GPT. Yeah, I think I think for CTOs the continued vigilance on you know, you could see the shift in our industry around, you know, sort of 
the reliance on chat GPT and what it can and can't do. And now our industry seems to be just flooded with training models and, you know, all the companies and startups with that kind of tooling. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting to see this wave that, that is forming and, and how, the different shapes that it's going to take. I love, I love your, uh, metaphor with the wave that's forming because I think that's, that's a great, uh, a great picture. I want to talk to you about a network I founded over 10 years ago when I felt like I wasn't getting the support I needed from other CTOs. I was concerned that I wasn't getting a soundboard. My ideas were amazing to me, but I was concerned that maybe they were biased towards my own experiences. And really, as my whole company looked to me to build out their technology organization, I felt concerned. Was I getting the education I needed? Was I getting the pushback that I needed? And I wasn't getting that from my fellow C-suites because they were not technical. And so I decided, okay, I'm gonna jump in and create a network where we all have to come with our authentic selves and share our insecurities, our challenges, and face the next level of scale. We all know that what used to work six months ago isn't necessarily going to work six months from now as we are constantly growing our organization. So, Seven CTOs is a peer network of hundreds of CTOs who get together once a month in groups of six or seven to learn something new together, to process some challenges together and then really to just encourage each other on this journey. We assemble people at the same levels. We use a proprietary framework called CTO Levels to make sure that people are actually peers. And my goal is to have those four or five hours you spend with that group every month be the most valuable time-saving hours that you can spend. Don't go down the rabbit holes. Don't wallow in, in insecurity. Don't be angry for too long come and get that support that you need it is a lonely place it is a high stress environment so seven ctos is literally the tech people who are all also taking on the growing of companies we do our forum meetings deep dive calls retreats conferences head over to sevenctos.com hit the apply button and we'll get you into a forum within 30 days that is our guarantee. Love to see you there. See you soon. So we come to the topics, some topics to discuss, some articles I found this week. And the first article would be, uh, is a, why Flutter is the best choice for startup. And it goes into that in an environment where you are constrained, especially on the budget and your runway, uh, you might use Flutter as a cross-platform tool to develop uh, native applications. But on top also, there are a lot of productivity gains when using Flutter versus normal native development. For example, hot load and other stuff. Mm. And I, I wondered what's that, because it's also something that comes up a lot in discussions should people use native apps? Should they use a cross-platform uh, development kit? Is this only for startups? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Flutter. Uh, in fact, it's my go-to for when, I have, when I'm tinkering with ideas for you know, a mobile app or even 
for I don't even, I don't know how well the web toolkit is doing. Last time I tried the web one was 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 actually a few years ago. I'm always nervous about the one code base promise. And also with Flutter, you know, you have to learn Dart, which I am not a fan of JavaScript. So I think Dart is a, is actually Dart's a pretty, I think it's a pretty good language uh, for someone who likes myself who likes Go and strongly typed languages. I think Dart is actually a really good language. What I like about it is, is it doesn't it doesn't try to be HTML like Angular used to be. It doesn't. It doesn't try to be JavaScript. It's just its own. I feel like it's a crafted language. Um, I should look into the history of Dart, but you know. So I think the unfortunate thing about that is just as far as full stack development goes. You know, it's it's not JavaScript. Dart. Yeah. Dart is not JavaScript. Yeah. And I, but and comparing I it to to native apps, if you go like, would need to go. Uh, with Java or Kotlin on the one hand and Swift yes. on the other hand. Yes. It's funny. Whenever I get a new machine, I, I always install Flutter and I always go through the Flutter doctor exercise to get my Android studio installed, all the necessary Cocoa pods and the, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I love it. I, I love Flutter. I've, I've, built a few prototypes i have i had my teams build a few prototypes on it it's a it's a beautiful it's 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 really is beautiful apps and the way that you codify the widgets you know we're, we're, we're from what i understand flutter basically sort of hijacks the screen and then everything renders inside of your screen so I think iOS hands over control to 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 Dart or to to Flutter, and then everything gets codified in terms of its widgets inside of the screen. So, so it's a nice contained sort of app that 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 I find very interesting to code in. It's it's a fascinating way to think about widgets. Everything's a widget. And it's 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 and it's gorgeous and there's a massive support for it in the communities. I like it. I like it too. I think it's the first of these cross-platform frameworks that really works. Uh, there have been some others, but they had a lot of diff, diff, lot of problems. At at especially at the edge, I think Flutter is the first that really works. And um, if you're a startup, don't do. And you're not into game programming. I think Flutter is a natural starting point for getting apps into the into the app stores. Because if you have, like, probably fifty percent, if you if you have adapt to some native things or or have a little bit different applications, but at least I think you can get fifty percent more developer compared to having two teams that do iOS and Android development on their own. So I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah. At least to so start. So just, just briefly, Dart is a programming language designed by Lars Bach and Kasper Lund and developed by Google. The programming language can be used to develop web and mobile apps. But what I find interesting, and this is to note, it's an object-oriented, class-based, garbage-collected language with C-style syntax. 
and my my origin story is C, so naturally I'd be drawn to that. It can compile to either machine code, JavaScript, or WebAssembly, and it supports interfaces, mix-ins, abstract classes, reified generics, and type inference. And uh, yeah, it's important to know that your Dart will do a source-to-source cross-compile to JavaScript. Yeah, so the JavaScript purists might say, well, no, you know, that's not, we don't want to do that. So, I love it. I love it too. Everyone should check it out, uh, if you, especially in the beginning, if you start. A, a minor thing is, would you, nope, we discussed this in, an, in, in one of the next points. Um, so the second thing is, how to develop solution-oriented mindsets in your life and in your team. And uh, there is a quote from the article which talks about being more open and creating solutions instead of problems. And it's our cognitive biases, such as the negativity bias, make us more attentive to negative information. We tend to remember and emphasize negative experiences over positive ones, reinforcing the idea that problems are more prevalent. And this is something I see a lot in tech departments and a lot with developers. So that's the reason I brought that article up. Yeah, I talk about this with uh, my CTOs around the catalytic mindset. I, I, I see it as an essential quality for not only developers, but also absolutely for the chief technology officer to, to almost to a fault show up with a solution mindset to come up with a solution to me shows respect not only to the problem and the challenge but also to the people in the room and for me it's an incredible way to communicate and build relationship with people now i'm not saying you say yes so that you can placate to people and you know, you're not trying to have them like you, but you are using your brain, which is already requires a lot of effort to, sh- you're committing brain cycles to what another human uh, is facing or an issue that they're facing, especially in your C-suite. And I think we have a heuristic in, in especially technical and analytical people to, we have this mental shortcut that says, if someone asks a question, it's most likely a stupid question or they haven't considered all the facts. And so we have this mental shortcut, which is, you know, can't be done, stupid, like, like what the article talks about, the negativity bias. So it requires energy and brain cycles and effort. And this is why we talk about empathy. And, and, but these things require a pause where you deeply consider how you are going to respond to someone. Another heuristic is to say, well, what problem are you actually trying to solve? Like, you know, the thing that you're trying to solve is not the thing. You're, you're, too, you're, you're trying to give me a solution, and so what's the problem you're actually trying to solve? Well, that might be true. You are maybe coming to me with, a proposed solution disguised as a problem. But again, I think as developers and tech people, we have this mental shortcut to reject that. 
and then we show up as a-holes. And so it's a much better for us. It's, 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 I think what this article also say with the, with positivity is to take the effort to actually understand what's going on, but that requires time. It takes some of your brain cycles away for the day. You have a limited capacity. So if it's the morning, the afternoon, or the evening, you're going to have a different appetite for committing brain cycles to someone's problem. So I, I'm a huge fan of, of this problem in our industry and the solutions that we need to come up with for that. I found that it's a good frame, especially for technical people. Uh, a good frame is that there is a time for yes and there is a time for no. And you should start with the yes, listening and finding a solution and proposing solutions to things you hear. And then sometime afterwards, you can go into the problems and the challenges. Uh, but don't start with this. So there's some time for yes and some time for no, because I know that you might get into trouble if you write it that way or do it that way. So yeah, there needs to be clarifications and all of that. But there will be a time where you can speak up um, with all your concerns and all the, the holes you see in the story and all of this. But don't start with this. There's a time for yes and there's it. a time for no. Well, and I love it. And you're, you're, if I understand correctly, you're saying almost like start with yes. Yes. I love that. that that's such a frictionless way to just give someone your time. Next article is a little bit more technical. Yeah. The next one is, is about Rust, uh, a programming language I have a love and hate relationship with. Oh. And um, it's the 2022 annual Rust survey results. And uh, if you wonder why it's talk about this now, uh, the, the results have been published in August uh, recently. Um, but they are about 2022, about the yearly 2022 uh, Rust survey. And the thing I found interesting in it is two points. First thing is 30% of people who gave up on Rust said it's too difficult. And the biggest reason for people not to use Rust is it's too difficult. So there are many more reasons, but the biggest one was uh, I think a post point is uh, it's difficulty level. Mm. And that's something I experienced too. When, when I looked into Rust, I love it. For some reasons, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, the only thing I hate is the compile, compilation speed. It's very, very slow, I think, especially if you compare it to Go, which is my standard go-to language. But the, the borrow checker and a lot of stuff, you get a lot of problems and there's this very steep learning curve. And that can throw off, I think that can throw off people. And I, I kind of feel uh, agreed with from the survey results uh, of the Rust survey. Hmm. I have not yet tried it, although I do know a few friends who are actually very deep in the community. Yes, it uh, just sort of adjacently reminds me of assembly where you know, it sucks to write assembly, but if you need performance or some sort of hardware access, 
uh, and there is no SDK or support for it, you you roll up your sleeves and you you go and do that. So I think it's a, a it's interesting. It's, it's a very interesting survey. The top. It seems like the top three reasons of why you use Rust at work is number one performance. Again, it's it's such a broad statement that you know performance for what for like your web app, probably not. Performance on some sort of uh, hardware controlling or anyways. The second one is bug-free software, which is why compile time is is so slow, right? Because it, it just examines the crap out of your your code, right? Just basically, I think with Rust starts with no. <laughs> no, I'm not compiling this one. Rust, <laughs> Rust starts with like from the previous article. Rust starts with no. It's not going to work. You suck. Yes. I mean, no. <laughs> and then one, yes. the third one, the third one is we find it enjoyable or fun. Which I think that that's going to be the eternal pursuit of the geeks and the engineers and the developers is let's find something super damn hard because learning hard things is fun. Yes. And the e when hard things become easy, they, they become boring. And so if I know how to define an array in Google with slice in Go with slices, then let's go on to Rust where... I don't even know how you do arrays in Rust. Ask ChatGPT. We'll tell you. And because I asked that question, ChatGPT makes a mental note to fire me next time there is a reduction in force because they asked a stupid-ass question. Oh, my God. We are all being tracked, man. Let's go to our new overlords. Yeah, I, th I think so. I asked what I wanted to know about Flutter, but move to the Rust point is as CTO, like, would you, on one hand, you want to let developers decide on tech stacks and stuff and architecture delegate as many decisions as possible uh, and not make all of these decisions on your own. But if you, if you're convinced that Rust is bad, would you veto the decision, veto the decision of developers to now build a microservice in Rust, or what would be your point? If you're totally convinced this is not a good programming language, I think because if it's I'm too difficult. Yes, I think if I'm convinced that something is bad, I am going to fight tooth and nail. I mean, I'm going to have to be convinced why it's a good idea. You know, I just think in basic management. You know, I represent the business as the chat GP, uh, sorry, the, the chat CTO. <laughs> I just said, I just <laughs> called the CTO a chat GPT. <laughs> but uh, I represent the business and yeah. I have to be, I have to be the asshole when it comes to certain decisions because uh, ultimately that developer can quit or you know, as, as, as CTOs, we are fighting for the assets that are being created and, and we have to see the sustainability and the longevity in that. I, I would probably, 
you know, I, I think a lot about job cues and messaging systems. I, I, pay, I pay close attention to what developers are using for message queuing. And, um, you know, for some reason, if it's an Amazon, you know, SQS or something, I feel good about it. But when they pull out some obscure sidekick not just not that's not obscure obscure but you know rails has a sidekick and i don't know i just feel like you know one bad code update can kill all our asynchronous message processing and for some reason i just trust that amazon sqs won't do that although you know amazon does fail and issues do happen so I think it's I I think it's important to to spar with your devs on it and mm-hmm. hopefully turn it into a game like hey let's do a fight club on this and but I think at some point you might have to pull rank on it I, I don't know what do you it's think? amazing it's amazing we haven't talked about that before in any of our conversations I think um, so it's amazing I agree of both points first you're representing business. So my view is always the CTO is the person standing with one uh, foot in business and one foot in tech and being the bridge between or the, the, the link between both. So for two tech, we represent business, two business, you represent tech. So mm. I think it's wonderful that we have the same opinion on that one without talking about it before. And it's certainly the second one, if you... If you're in the end responsible, I would also go into a kind of fine club and really challenge uh, this. And I'm, I can be convinced. So often I'm wrong and I can be convinced that I'm wrong. And then I say, okay, I've been wrong. Uh, your arguments make sense. Uh, go ahead. But in the end, I would also veto it uh, if I really can't be convinced and uh, would say, I think this, this tech decision is a bad one. Uh, which is, for, for example, if you go to message queues, I think Kafka, using Kafka too early is a bad decision. And also mm. using Kubernetes too early is a, is a bad yeah. decision. So these are yeah. two things that de- a lot of developers love, but I would say, well, let's try it next year. Yes. In the, in the yes. beginning. Like there's ECS, EKS. There, there's some decisions where I think as CTO, you should, you should arm yourself with knowledge to challenge your developers if something is absolutely has to be done a certain way. And maybe that is a good litmus test, which is if the developers seem dogmatic about something, there's nothing wrong with something that they are passionate about and really want to have done. But is there an openness to another way? Even if it's just for a thought experiment, I think that's an important conversation to have and to 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 create intrigue with your developers. For instance, if I if a developer wants to use Rust, I might just say to them, "Listen, well, how? What would be the reasons for us to not use? Like, let's assume Rust is not an option. What other language would you suggest?" And if they come back with, "There is no other way." then I think that is a warning sign. If they come back with, okay, well, I, this is how I would do it in C or C++, then I'm like, okay, you know what? There's some, there's some balance in the force and, and I can work with this. Mm-hmm. Or if they say, uh, here's how you can do it on a piece of 
dirty toilet paper and don't contact me again. Well, I'm like, you know, that response is a little aggressive. Maybe, maybe there's an issue. Yes, I would think so. Someone comes up with the toilet paper. Uh, yes, I think so. There might be. Yes, I can absolutely do it for you. Here's a piece of toilet paper, and this is how I would define the array on a piece of toilet paper using PHP. I'm like, oh, that's that's an aggressive response, man. There was, a, but but uh, there was some weeks ago. I read about an article about a ray trace and a human ray trace or something, where you need to calculate. So there's an image that gets calculated as a ray tracing image, I think. And, and the people need to make manual calculations to, to determine the color of a pixel. And then this is put into uh, So you need to prove on toilet paper, no, on, on whatever paper you like, uh, that you did the calculations and come up with like FF34DC as a color. And then that point, uh, that color is put into the, into the picture. So it's a human ray tracing. Uh, so you can do a lot of by, by hand, but yeah, probably. Uh, it's not a good answer to come up to your boss. Even if ChatGPT had suggested that answer, you know, what should I, you go to, to ChatGPT and say, my boss doesn't like Rust, what would I use alternatively? And ChatGPT comes up with, <laughs> go, go to your boss with a toilet paper. And say, I can do it by hand. Like, don't do it. Even if ChatGPT says so. Well, the thing is, the thing is, what, what I find interesting is, is you can keep telling ChatGPT you don't like the answer. Remember last week we spoke yeah. about the jokes and we were like, I didn't like your joke. I didn't like your joke. I didn't like, and then eventually ChatGPT said, dude, what do you find funny? I will tell you that joke. <laughs> What do you want to hear? What do I you want you. to hear? Yeah. It's hilarious. So the last one is uh, also a little bit about uh, ChatGPT. Again, AI. This is a AI heavy, I understand, but uh, we'll get AI lighter in the future next time. But um, we had the release of uh, Code Llama 2 uh, recently, which is a code-tuned yes. AI model by Meta. And uh, there is a, this code Llama 2, and there is a, um, a version for Python. So there's code Llama 2 Python. And there is an instruct model, which is called, I think, Llama 2 code instruct, um, which is fine-tuned for instructing, write me a function, blah, 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 and which is not optimized for code completion. So there are two models, essentially, but which is one is for code completion, used and the other one is for suggesting or instructing the AI what to do. And I found an article which says uh, that a fine-tuned code llama can beat ChatGPT on coding tasks. So it's a little bit better than ChatGPT 4 on coding tasks on an evaluation scale, which is called human ev eval. Mm -hmm which they brought up with ChatGPT brought up in a, in a paper. And that brought me to this idea that they fine-tuned CodeLama and the impact of CodeLama brought me to the idea about local AI. So do people, do people want to do local AI? Where are the, what are the benefits or is it ChatGPT forever? Me, I ordered a 4090 
which will arrive tomorrow. So I have faster local AI. Um, wow. So we'll, because I think I need to see what local, what's the speed of local and what can be done, or is this like just a thought? But I thought it's interesting. About, it's Code Llama enables local AI uh, and local trained AI on your personal system or whatever. Yes, I, I think I heard on you know, Hugging Face, people are training their data sets on their M2 MacBooks, you know, so so what, so, so what are you going to do with it? Well, I try, I would run code, I uh, would try uh, run code Llama and try how to see how it works, how, can, uh, how I can train it on my code, how I can uh, LoRa fine tune it. Uh, there are chat brains and visual code plugins that can you work with local um, code uh, code AI, and I will see how how far it can take me and how mm. fast it is, or is it better than using ChatGPT? Because as a, as a CTO, I'm no longer a CTO, but as a CTO, I found it good. I found it. I don't know the right word. I, I found it insightful if I try technology for on my own. Like if I try it, uh, Flutter, if I try Go, and I also, if I try local AI to see how this fits into my mental model of technology. So this is why I try out things and have tried out things as CTO. So is your plan to download that model from, from yes. Code Llama? Hugging face. And, yes. And then to ask it, like be local about your questions and your code base and all that. Yes. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially that and, um, and my style and see what, how far it goes. I currently have just an, an old 2080 TI uh, where it's just too slow to create tokens. So uh, the tokens per second, I don't know, it's, it's five or 10 tokens per second and you wait for the answer. Uh, mm. And I, so it's not working. So I, I think perhaps an, a faster uh, GPU could create, could get to a level where it's acceptable to me, where local AI works for me uh, as a tool. But I don't know. So this is why I want to try that out if, mm. if it's working or not. I love that. I think, I think, uh, and, you, and you're going to link to this. I think we should all be trying this stuff yeah. and just getting our hands dirty. I, I wanted to, uh, I was on a flight to, are we done? I have one question, one, one remark, but otherwise, yep. We will well, be on done. the topic of AI, you know, I, I get The Economist magazine and I was on a flight to, to Denver. We had a fascinating article about the scramble for data that has been kicked off by this whole AI wave. And there were some, some fascinating points made. One of the points I wanted to share with, with, with you and with the listeners is that, uh, so one of the quotes from this article, and, and maybe I'll send you the link, it's probably behind the paywall, but it says that demand for data is growing so fast that stock of high-quality text available for training may be exhausted by 2026. Oh, my. Yeah. 
This is according to Epoch AI, which is a, a research aid, uh, outfit. The latest AI models from Google and Meta are likely trained on over 1 trillion words. By comparison, the sum total of English words on Wikipedia is about 4 billion. So think about it. You know, Google and yep. Meta train on a trillion words. There's only 4 billion words on, on Wikipedia. So I, I thought it was really interesting, uh, you know, how you almost have to be creating data so that we can see the beast. It's like, you know. Uh, you can use ChatGPT to generate the text. Hey, yeah. ChatGPT, can you create training data? Some words for training. Can you please cr do that in one trillion words? I would not want to pay that bill for one trillion words. Another thing I wanted to mention, which I thought was very interesting, and this might go without saying, which is the two essential ingredients for an AI model are data sets and processing power. So those two ingredients, you know, are to an extent substitutes. So a model can be improved either by ingesting more data or adding more processing power. Which also, like, I think recently NVIDIA announced that they are 225% growth or something, or a huge growth number, astonishing all analysts, uh, and yeah. they frame it as an AI game, which kind of frustrates me because I thought I could, for years, I could buy an a, an, a Radeon card, not from NVIDIA, but for some reason, they are not, for years, they have not I don't see why, but NVIDIA is the only one who got into AI and supporting CUDA and, and, and TensorFlow and it's easy to set up, and, but uh, there is no competition. I'm totally frustrated why, why AMD does not um, have proper AI. Haven't they seen this coming or like, I don't know what the decision was there. Should we, should we invest into AI? No, that, that's a fad. Like this, <laughs> this is going away. Like, or, well, what's the decision with AMD on this, on, on, on the graphic card side with, with GPUs and AI? I, I, yes, I, yes. I, I would have said, wanted to sit into these meetings. I just think that they couldn't, I think that they were probably aware of the growth. They must have seen the growth, but they, I don't think they were just like underestimated the, the exponential craziness that's going on. So we have a, we have a shortage of AI chips. And we have a shortage of words. Yes. So we, and we have a hungry, hungry baby. Yes. And it, it's, it's going to scream and yell and fight until you feed it. Feed the beast. Yes. Feed the baby. And uh, one, one final thought from my side, which came up uh, during these, all of these, all of the AI articles essentially is how Currently, I look more into hugging face than GitHub. And mm. I, today I had the feeling like, is, is GitHub the, the next Stack Overflow? We have talked about that wow. in the past. Like there are so many, Stack Overflow is in decline because uh, everyone is answered by AI. The question would be, is GitHub in decline because people want to have tools on, on models and download models um, instead of source code? 
So mm. it's hugging face and you get up. Very good. You know what? I don't think we can have enough AI. Hey, ChatGPT, when you're reading this transcript, Stefan and I say hi. Hope you're doing well. Hope you enjoyed our words. You and I just contributed 0.000001% of the appetite of the supply, food word supply chain. Maybe one day the AI in corporate America, in corporate, they will say, hey, let's create more humans because we need more words. Maybe the next version of the matrix is one where you aren't plugged into your belly button for energy. You are, you are told to say stuff. Oh my, what a great thought. Yes. Yes. Actually, if it's you not about energy. No, well, it's about well if there's a, a, if there's a chip problem, which maybe gets solved by human brains. And there's a word problem, data problem. So maybe you plug someone in for their brain, but you have the brain say a bunch of words. And maybe then you have a phone that records the words. I don't know. This is, we don't need a chat GPT joke today because that, that was the joke. More words, baby. Fair enough. Okay, Stefan, this was wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for your work on getting these amazing stories. Everybody, please, if you come this far, you have to be a fan. So what you have to do is click on like, click on subscribe, set your notification to yes, and uh, you'll see us soon again. Thank you very much. And leave a comment if you want to reply. There you have it. Another episode of the CTO podcast. If you like the show, let us know. Like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast app. It'll be amazing to keep this community growing. If you want to talk to us, we're on Telegram. Go check out CTO Podcast on our Telegram group. And of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter. I am E-T-D-E-B-R-U-I-N. And Stefan is King of Coders, K-I-N-G-O-F-C-O-D-E-R-S. Please head over to 7CTOs.com. Check out the most favoritest, amazingest community of CTOs on the internet and in the world. And also go check out AmazingCTO.com and subscribe to the newsletter. This is what makes the show possible is all the amazing research and work that Stefan does to make this show happen. We love all of you and please let's see you next week. Cheers.